God can. God has promised to and God has followed through. I'm going to say that one more time. God can, He has promised to, and He has followed through. Good afternoon. Greetings from Mississippi. I'm John Hallman, missionary to the U.S. military and to the German nationals in Malingen, Germany. I want to say hello to Grace Baptist Church. Hello to the students of British Columbia Bible College. Hello to Pastor White and Pastor Taylor. Como esta, Pastor Estrao? Alo, Pastor Devian. Hopefully I didn't murder those names too badly. But uh, I'm here. You've probably already seen my video but I, I want to encourage you. I, I don't think it takes a Ph.D. in research and anal analysis to uh, see that our land, probably our world, is overcome with fear. So I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to I'm going to call on the Lord, and then I'm going to try to to encourage you with what the Lord can do, and I believe wants to do. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of preaching. Uh, you know more than anybody listening or myself how difficult it is uh, to preach uh, to a camera. And I just pray that you would control my thoughts. I pray that I would say what you'd have me to say. I pray you would do what I could never do, and that speak to the hearts of your people there in British Columbia and whomever else may listen by way of... of um, YouTube or Facebook or however it's broadcast. Lord, we love you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to uh, start out with uh, uh, a verse from Psalm, 90, uh, Psalm 78 and verse number 19. In Psalm 78, the psalmist records uh, how God was displeased with the uh, unbelief of his children there in the wilderness. And in verse 19, he records how they have asked the question in the latter part of the verse, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, I'm here today, Lord willing, to, to show you from Scripture, to prove to you that the answer to that question is God can. God has promised to and God has followed through. I'm going to say that one more time. God can. He has promised to, and he has followed through. Now, I, I'm going to start with a song, and then I want to tell you the different fears that I see, but I, I feel like uh, uh, that it'll be an encouragement to you. The <clears throat> kind of goes through the Old Testament. Uh, uh, Lester Roloff is the only person I've ever heard sing this song besides myself. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. If I fall down, I'm going to get right up because I didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, it's not a recreation room. It's a fight, it's not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I'm in Christ's fight to stay. Now the Philistine giant, he shouted 40 days, send me a man to fight. The Israelites said, our hearts are brave, but our feet, they're full of fright. And then David showed up with only a pocket full of rocks, but he knew how to trust and pray. He said, if you're going to run Goliath, you better go now, because I came here to stay. Now the boys wouldn't bow. The king got mad. He said, turn the furnace up high. Tie them up. Throw them in. The Hebrew rascal's going to fry. But a little while later, when he looked inside, he heard my Savior say, 
Pull up a chair, boys, and warm your hands, cause I'm with you gonna stay. So run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. If I fall down, I'm gonna get right up, because I didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, it's not a recreation room, it's a fight, it's not a game. Well, run if you want to, run if you will, but I'm in Christ's fight to stay. Now the decree had been signed by the hand of the king, but Daniel still prayed to the Lord. The hungry lion waited in the den so deep, here comes supper one roared. But if you'd been standing anywhere close by, you'd have heard old Daniel say, if you're talking about me, boys, you better give it up, because I came in here to stay. Now... Our heroes of faith are growing old. And some have already passed from this scene. I wonder who's going to fill their shoes, if you know what I mean. It's time for some of us to get serious and step to the plate and say, Run if you want to, run if you will, but I'm in Christ's fight to stay. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. If I fall down, the Lord will pick me up because I'm fighting the fight his way. It's a battlefield, brother, it's not a recreation room. It's a fight, it's not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I'm in Christ's fight to stay. We get the feeling like that nobody has ever faced the difficulties that we face. I mean, fear abounds right now. There's fear of government control. There's fear of disobeying the government control. There's fear of being woke, as we say in, in America and in the United States. There's fear of being seen as not woke, amen. Uh, there's, I, I'm told, Bible college students, that the uh, globally, the number of people going into uh, study theology in the Bible colleges and seminaries around the world is, is decreasing year by year. I have heard, I found that statistic today, uh, that it's not a Baptist thing, it's a Christianity thing. I, I saw uh, some months back, maybe even a year or so ago, I heard a brother preach and he said that even in the most conservative of Bible colleges, like West Coast Baptist, for instance, and, and he named some others around the country, that the number of students graduating from Bible college and going into what we would call full-time Christian ministry has sunk to single digits. Now, I, I can't look in people's heart to see uh, why that is, but I, I believe it could be. I don't believe God's cease to call people, I think, as far as the numbers of going to Bible college have shrunk because we've ceased to answer the call. And for those of us who have answered the call, but then we don't follow through to go into full-time Christian ministry, I want to say, and, and only them and God knows, but perhaps it, it could be that we're so infatuated with the dream of two cars, nice house, nice school, etc., that we're afraid to go into the ministry. We're, we're looking for those well-paid and prestigious positions. But sometimes the place that God can use you the most, you may have to work a job in order to minister. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it should be good enough for us. I mean, Acts 18 says he, he stayed with Aquila and Priscilla because they were doing the same job he did, building tents. We can do this. It's not like we get the feeling that nobody's ever faced the problems that we face. 
And it's, it's not just the Christians that are filled with fear. The world around us seems to be filled with fear. I mean, I read just this week how some police in Ontario were called to a particular Baptist church. And uh, that particular pastor was in compliance with, they were having multiple services so that they could meet with the numbers that the, the government said they could meet. But why did the police show up? Well, they showed up, but they were afraid to show up. They don't want to be known for stopping people from worshiping. But they, they showed up because uh, the neighbors have called around every church that was having in-person meetings. And, and they've called the law on them. So Christians are afraid. The lost people around us are afraid. But I want to prove to you again that not only can God... God can, he's promised to, and he has followed through. The, 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 the situation we're in is the same situation here in Joel uh, chapter 3 and verse number 14. The Bible says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And we've got people today who are telling us that, uh, you know, God can't work. They, they may not use those words, but they act as though God can't work because uh, our society sounds an awful lot like 2 Timothy chapter 3, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce bakers, false accusers, incontinent, and the list goes on. You think of the truce bakers for a second. I don't know of any riots going on in Canada, but I know here in the United States, uh, we have people that are rioting because they don't like what uh, some governmental situation is, and then they riot if they get the answer that they're looking for. So truce breakers, do this or we're going to riot, and you do this and they still riot. I mean, it's just everywhere. Our world in general, our countries, mine and yours in particular, are ripe for one of three things. It's ripe for the rapture, amen. Jesus could come back today. Nothing in this book will prevent him from coming back. Nothing's got to happen before he comes back. And as John closes out under the inspiration of uh, the Holy Spirit, Revelations chapter 22, even so come quickly, amen. But our world is ripe for a revolution. I've never seen such violence in my 52 years on this planet. But it's also ripe for a revival. And the question that we need to ask is the same question that Elijah posed in 1 Kings 18. He said, how long halt ye between two opinions? And even the most conservative Christians today are halted between the opinion of obeying God and being accepted in the community. And there's got to be a way for us to do the one. Uh, this morning in my devotions, I saw how Moses was afraid there in the early part of Exodus... But he was not afraid of God. He was afraid of the consequences of some wrongdoing he had done. In this particular case, he had killed a man and then buried him. Help me, Lord. For those of us who are saved, if we're doing what God called us to do, we have no reason to fear anyone but God and, and dishonoring him, disobeying him. Hmm. As I sang that song, I gave you some examples there of David and of Daniel and of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how God worked in some terrible situations. We want to look at, and we're talking about God can. 
He's promised to and he'll follow through. So if we're going to talk about that, let me talk about some some promises of God. In Genesis chapter 9, uh, God gave the rainbow and he said, I'll never destroy the earth again by a flood. So every time we see a rainbow, we can remember that promise. In Genesis chapter 37, by way of a dream, God gave Joseph the promise that one day all of his brothers... And his mother and father would bow before him in order to survive in this world. In Exodus, and God gave the, the promise with that last plague. If they would put the, the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, that when the death angel saw the blood, right? This is just like that good old hymn. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. That was a promise God gave his people. In Joshua chapter 1, God gives a conditional promise to Joshua. He said, I will be with you as I was with Moses. We'll get to the condition in a moment. But he gave him that promise. In, in Psalm 72, uh, God promises, let me, let me just read that to you. In Psalm 72, I think it's verse number 17. Give me just a second to get there. Psalm 72, verse number 17. I'm trying to stay under a uh, time limit here, so y'all listen fast because I'm going to preach fast, amen. In verse 17, it says, His name, God's name, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. Men shall be blessed in Him. All nations shall call Him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. So God promised His name is going to last forever. In Judges chapter 6, the angel of God comes to Gideon. Gideon's hiding over in the corner. I don't know if any of y'all have, have ever threshed grain or been around when grain is being threshed manually. But you generally, it's done outside. It's done where the wind can blow because you're beating that grain and then you're tossing it up and allowing the wind to drive the chaff and the unedible parts away. But Gideon, he's kneeling down. He's hiding. And yet the angel greeted him, thou mighty man of valor. I, I, I'm glad, I'm going to slow down for just a second, because we get the idea that we should never have a fear. If that's true, why did God tell us? Why is the word fear found 300 and nearly 400 times in Scripture? God knows we're going to have fear. We act like we should never question God and ask God for a sign. Oh, Gideon asked for a sign four different times. And God answered with a sign verifying, comforting, promising again the victory. God's promised to, and he will follow through. In, in, in Isaiah 43, another great promise, Isaiah chapter 43, and God promises to be with us. God says in Isaiah chapter 43, But now thus saith the Lord God that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, he didn't say we wouldn't pass through deep waters, amen. What he said was, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. He promised to be with us. 
In Matthew chapter 11, he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. A yoke represents work. A burden represents work. But he said it'd be easy to serve him. In John 12, 32, he said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. He was lifted up. Amen. In John 14, he said, You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, you and I have not seen the fulfillment of that promise, but God's promised to, and he'll follow through. John 14, 12, he promises that, that those who follow him will do even greater works than he did. That's, pretty, that's a pretty amazing promise. In John 14, verses 26 and 27, he promised the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to come alongside and, and guide us and help us through this life, help us through these difficult times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says that in verse number 20 that the promises of God are yea and amen. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God that cannot lie has promised eternal life. Amen. In Hebrews 13, 5, in Matthew 28, 20, much like Isaiah 43, he said, I'll be with you. I'll never forsake you. Hmm. 1 Peter 5. A lot of people, Bible college students, I'm going to talk to you for just a second. We're, we're afraid to go out and do something because we're looking for that, that full-time, uh, prestigious, well-paid position. But the Bible says in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, let me, let me read that to you. It's very good. Verse 7, you, you probably know by heart already, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. But in, in, in verse number 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That's a promise. He'll lift us up when it's due time. Acts 22, verses 14 and 15, Paul is recounting his call into ministry. Paul is recounting his call into ministry. And he said that God said to him, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that Ananias said to him, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men. Hmm. Are you called? Then he's promised you the same thing. You'll be his witness. Amen. That's God's promises. So I said, can God? Yes, God can. He's promised to, and he'll follow through. Amen. So let's look for the follow through. We looked at his promises. Let's look at his performances. In Genesis 4, 26, some people today, they tell us that God uh, can't send a revival, won't send a revival in this days. I believe in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 26, we see the first uh, revival recorded in history. The, the few verses before that, Lamech is bragging, and it sounds an awful lot like a, a modern rock and roll song or, or a country music song. Uh, So-and-so's bad, but I'm badder. He's tough. I'm tougher. If God did this to Cain, he's going to do more to me. But listen, so it's in a bad day. Remember, in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible said that the earth was filled with violence, and the imagination of man was evil continually. 
So we're going to need another one a little later. But let's look right here in verse 26. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. That sounds a lot like a revival to me. That sounds like God worked in those days. We look like he can't work in our days. We act like he can't work in our days. But God can. He's promised to, and he'll follow through. Amen. In Genesis chapter 6, uh, I, I've already told you how it was. the world was filled with violence, and the thoughts and imaginations of men were only evil continually, but Noah found grace. Amen. In Genesis 41, uh, Joseph is in that position. He's second only to Pharaoh. His family does bow before him. In Exodus chapter 12, the death angel did, did pass over the houses that, that, uh, where he saw the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. In Judges chapter 7, 32,000 people came out to fight for God. 22,000 were sent home because they were afraid. 9,700 were sent home because they weren't afraid. They were trusting in themselves. 300 who were afraid but trusting God, he chose to give the victory. And it, it, it shouldn't go past our thoughts of what they took into battle. They took a trumpet. A trumpet's used to send people into battle. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 59, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their sin. Amen. They took a, 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 their vittles. Uh, Jesus said in John 4, I think, that my meat, my satisfaction, my vittles, my sustenance is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My friends, that's got to be our sustenance. That's got to be our meat to finish what he's called us to do. And he took an empty pitcher filled with light. And that pitcher, much like the, the alabaster box in the Gospels, needed to be broken and spilled out. So that that light shined all around. The same thing is true for us. We're talking about God can. We've seen his promises. Now we're seeing his performances. In 1 Kings chapter 18, after they saw God perform, the people said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. In 2 Kings 18, in 2 Chronicles 34, the Bible records how the, the people of God had lost the word of God in the house of God. But Shaphan said, I found the book with many authors, yet one inspired all its pages to tell of God's son. He took it to the priest. The priest took it to the king. The king rent his clothes and said, seek God. We see a revival there. Jesus said in John chapter 12, uh, 14, that those that follow me, those that believe in me, will do greater works than I did. And he, we see the performance of that in Acts chapter 2 when the whole church is in the street witnessing the people. Peter stood up and preached and 3,000 people got saved. We see that in that promise fulfilled in God's performance in Acts chapter 4 when they preached and 5,000 men got saved. Paul, God promised to Paul that he'd be a witness to all men. Acts 17, uh, it is said of Paul and his friends who came with him to minister there that these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. In Acts 19.10, Paul wrote that all, or Luke wrote that all that be in Asia heard the word of God. In Romans 10.18, Paul writes that the sound of the gospel had gone into all the world. Well, what about modern times? All oh, that's ancient history, Brother John. What, what's God done lately? Okay, well, let's start back in the 1700s. 
I could start back in the 1600s with men like Cromwell and, and John Bunyan, but let's come to something that we know, maybe know a little bit more about. We call it the Great Awakening. And in, in our country, I don't know how much of it went into Canada, but in our country, two preachers, one of them very, very emotional, very vibrant, George Whitfield, one of them not very emotional, not very vibrant, and Jonathan Edwards. Over in England, you had John Wesley and several others. God sent a revival across both lands. By the time Jonathan Edwards' grandson is in ministry, he's the president of Yale. Yale was a preacher's college at the time. His name was Dr. Timothy Dwight. He realized that the vast majority of the preacher's college, whose motto was lux veritas, light and truth, didn't believe the word of God. He didn't sit inside the church or inside his house and complain about them. He went out. He was used of God to, to interact with them. He preached a series of sermons on the veracity of the word of God. God worked in his life. God worked in Peter Cartwright's life. God worked in Lyman Beecher's life and other men's life. And we see what we call the second great awakening. Just, just not even, hardly a generation later, you had a retired salesman named Jeremiah Lanfear who was knocking doors in, in New York City and not seeing much happen. So he started a prayer meeting. Hmm. The first day he had the prayer meeting, only one somebody showed up right before it was over. But within a few weeks, 10,000 businesses in New York City were closed so that men could pray during their lunch hour. As a result of that, a Sunday school teacher led a man named D.L. Moody to the Lord. He was so scared of him. We, I read where he passed by the shoe store where D.L. Moody worked a couple of different times before he went in and led the man to the Lord. We need to be going after sinners. And as William Booth said, going after the worst of them, amen. God took that D.L. Moody and shook two continents for Christ. You have a man named Sheffy and another one named Sam Jones down south. In, in England, you had Spurgeon and you had General Booth. And, and out of that revival came Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Missions. At a time when men didn't think God could work, God promised to and he followed through. Amen. And, and around the turn of the 20th century, you had a man named a boy. Correct me. A boy named Evan Roberts who started praying at 13, and at 26, God sent a revival. That revival affected R.A. Torrey in the United States, and God sent R.A. Torrey around the world. God has promised to, amen, and he follows through. So we've seen God's promises. We've seen God's performances. Let's look at the ghastly possibilities. I know I've got to be coming in for a landing here, but... Thrice in Psalms and once in the Proverbs, the Bible describes God as laughing at people who've waited too long to repent. Now, hopefully, if you're listening today, you're saved. But if you're not, you need to understand God loves you, but you're a sinner. And that sin has a salary of eternity in a, a place of torment. The most amazing four words in the Bible found in Romans 5.8. Christ died for us, if you really believe that, nobody will have to tell you what to pray, how to pray. You're going to say something to the effect of God, save me, forgive me of my sin, take my life. But for those of you who have already accepted Christ, 
that fact should set a fire under us. It's like Jeremiah decided, I'm not going to preach because nobody's listening anyway. We don't know of Jeremiah having one single convert. But when he tried to quit preaching, he said, it's a fire shut up in my bones. Mm, amen. Ezekiel uh, chapter 14 is, is very, and we're talking about ghastly possibilities here. If we don't take, 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 hope in and work towards uh, the, the promises that God has given us. In, in Ezekiel chapter 14, Ezekiel is a book of judgment, okay? And yet 40 some odd times in that book of judgment, the Bible says that they may know that I am the Lord. Even in judgment, as one of the prophets wrote, in wrath remember mercy. Even in judgment, God wants people to call on him. But listen to this. There will come a time, this is Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, verses 12 to 14. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast. Though these three, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If, if I'm not mistaken, those are the only three people that there's never any negative thing said about them. And God said if they were there, they'd only save themselves. Who knows, but that's where we are today. But we don't know that. So we need to be trusting God and trusting in his promises. In, in, jo in Amos chapter 8, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but a hearing of the words of the Lord, and they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. These are ghastly possibilities. But let's get back to God's promises and God's performances. God can, he's promised to, and he'll follow through. The Bible says in Isaiah 45, 22. Let me read that to you. I want to get it right. But I'll go ahead and tell you, there's a great hymn written on it. In fact, I believe this is the scripture that was read the morning that, uh, that Charles Haddon Spurgeon gave his life to Christ. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Problem is we're all saved and we have ceased to care about those people out there. We want God to change those people out there. We see ourselves as perfect before God. But the promise for revival, Old or New Testament, starts with us. New Testament, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Old Testament, I call it the 243 life. Two, if God's people, call, if my people called by my name. Four, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Three, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. We want to start with the land, but God says it starts with us. Help me, Lord. 2 Chronicles 16, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to prove himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart 
is perfect toward me. Perfect in that sense doesn't mean without sin. Perfect in that sense means completely stayed on him. What did the psalmist write? Thou shalt keep him in perfect or complete peace whose mind is stayed on thee, whose heart is stayed on thee. Look, you expect, church, Brother White, Brother Taylor, Brother Estrao, Brother Devian, you expect the deacons, Brother Alvin, Brother Howard, Brother David, to trust God's promises, trust his performance, and allow God to work in their lives. But did you know he expects the same thing of you? You expect me as a missionary to go to Germany and spend my life trying to win people to Christ. But the fact is, church, the fact is, Bible college student, the fact is, pew warmer, the fact is, sold out man of God, that he expects the same of every one of us. I used to think of certain people who were completely sold out for Christ as some sort of special forces, sort of a Christian, you know, above and beyond the call. There is nothing, friends, that is above or beyond the call of God. Listen to this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, it's Romans 12, 1, by the mercies of God. What mercies? He died for you. He gave you life this morning. He gave you everything you have in this, in this world and in the world to come. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's oxymoronous. Living, you understand. The word sacrifice is translated from the word holocaust. The only way I know the word holocaust is six million Jews were annihilated in World War II. Our life is to be completely consumed. I like the way Paul said it in Galatians 2.20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Hmm. Listen, church. The Israelites asked, can God? I think of very many Christians today are asking that same question. And the answer is, God can. He's promised to, and he'll follow through. The question today is will you trust him enough? Will you draw close to him so that he can use you? The question in John's life is will John trust him enough? Will John draw near enough that he can use me? Because he's no respecter of persons. If Paul could be content in a jail cell, well, we can't meet together as a church preacher. Hey, I understand. I understand. Neither could George Whitfield. He met in the fields. If it's important to us, we'll find a way. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of preaching to the church today. I pray that you would bless Grace Baptist Church there in British Columbia. I pray that you would bless <clears throat> the ministry of British Columbia Baptist College. Above all, we pray that your name would be glorified in our lives individually and corporately. For it's in the name above every name, Jesus Christ, that we ask. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.